Welcome to episode 311. How do you resist the resistance when leading change? Change is hard because it could be so personal and emotional. How do you push forward? It's about leading with truth, grace, and a winsome spirit. That's today on The Reclaim Leader. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 311 of The Reclaim Leader. I'm Jason Tucker, back again with Jesse Skiffington. How's it going, Jesse? Doing great, Jason. Just plugging away, you know, deeper and deeper into the fall here. It is already the long dark of winter has set up in the Pacific Northwest, so we're settling in for that. But uh, it's always a good time, whether whatever season of the year it is, to talk about change. How do we navigate change as leaders in the local church or in any organization for that matter, but particularly in the church? How do we do change well? How do we respond to opposition? How do we deal with some of the fallout of of uh, the changes that we're introducing or suggesting? So we're going to get into some of those things again, kind of as you put it before we hit record, kind of getting back to our roots. I mean, this is this is why we started the podcast. It really is. It's <laughs> talk about navigating change as leaders in the church, and so uh, yeah, I love I love this stuff, and this kind of you know I we both kind of light up around this conversation and. I think the reason is, is because it is the constant reality of an organization that's going to be healthy is this ongoing need to adapt and change over time. And you're going to talk about something at the end about change is either going to be something that we introduce or is going to just happen to us. And so what kind of change are you going to uh, go for it. So anyway, I am love this. You can tell I'm already geeked up about the whole conversation. <laughs> well, this actually, uh, the idea for this episode recently came from a, uh, a conversation with one of our listeners, a friend of the podcast, and just kind of talking through resistance to change. And he said, folks want to see the church grow, but they don't want anything to change. And that's that's the truth. And I don't care who you are and what your preferred worship style is or how old or young you are. Like People want it to grow and be filled with people just like them who like the same things that they like. I think right. the real question comes to not just status quo, but will people choose status quo even if they know it's going to die? Just so they don't have to change, and that's a whole that's a little bit of a different issue. Comfort but, is one of our biggest enemies, man. It is yeah. one of those things that we would rather be comfortable, it, it, you know, almost more than any other thing, and we have to be on purpose get out of our comfort zone. So I think that's yeah. related to that. So the resistance. Here's the thing. This is where resistance comes in: is that when you have a clear strategy, whatever it is, whether it's sort of like a grand vision for the mission, direction, strategy of the church. Or it's a vision for a particular season, like, hey, we have a vision for how we're going to treat the holiday season this year and what our end goal is, so on and so forth. But when you have a clear strategy, immediately, first of all, some people leave when you have a clear strategy. Why? Because a clear strategy provokes deep fear sometimes. Fear that, um, hey, I'm going to lose. If this really works, yeah, more people might come, but I might lose what I really hold dear. In, in fact, I would even say that clear strategy is divisive at first, at first, until you generate buy-in. But here's the thing. Ambiguity is not scary. No. It's not scary at all. That's like people's comfort food, ambiguity. Because then you just sort of keep on keeping on. It's a treadmill. It's we do the things we always did 
because we've always done them. And it, there's really not much thought to a clear strategy. So I, I don't know. I guess that's that's the downside of a clear strategy yeah. is that it does create some does. feedback. Yeah. And I think it's related to um, I, I think sometimes when we've had clear strategy around change, people want to move towards what are some of the unintended or unanticipated consequences? What might happen? What could happen? There's uncertainty. Because if we initiate this change, we don't have control anymore. We don't know what is going to come down the road or something. Whereas if we maintain the status quo and have ambiguity of vision and we just keep doing the same thing over and over again, people know there's no uncertainty in that. We know exactly what's going to happen. Yeah. We know how long the music's going to go. We know how long Jason's going to preach. We know what the themes and topics are generally going to be. And we know who's roughly going to be there. So I feel okay or, or comfortable or whatever. Uncertainty produces can produce anxiety unless there's a lot of trust and so anyway there's a i think a lot of reasons why clear strategy is alarming to people when that clear strategy is introducing something new or unknown or they haven't experienced yet yeah but here's the other thing that clear strategy does is that it rallies the people who are energized to do a new thing yeah and some of your best leaders in the church rally around clear strategies um, it gives them something kind of aspirational, give them something to shoot for and something yeah. that they're excited about. So I think the toughest part for pastors is a lot of the time, especially since everything we've been through in the last several years is you just start thinking, man, I don't know if I have the energy to have a clear strategy. I like ambiguity in so much as I feel like I could just coast and maybe that's what I need right now. I don't know. That's tough. That's a, because it's true. It feels true. And, and I get it, but I don't think you could do both. I don't think you could want to have like a, a, a great strategy and want to grow the church, not for the sake of numbers, but the sake of reach um, for people, for the kingdom of God. You can't do that and not have a clear strategy. Basically you can't have both. Mm-hmm. It's going to be one or the other. So Jeannie Stevens, we had her on the podcast long time ago now from soul city church. She's so great. We loved our interview with her. She said this, she said, no great culture has ever been built by simply wanting it. Yeah. We must be willing to do it. Yep. That stings a little bit. Yeah. (laughs) And she's right. Yeah. They're so true. And we know if you've ever led change, then you know what it takes for that statement to be true. And I think there is that part of us that's that wants to naturally wants to coast or something, or just have moments of calm in your ministry. And there might be seasons where that's a healthy thing for a little while underneath a season of really strategic, clear strategy. And you're living under that clear strategy and the organization has adjusted to that strategy sufficiently to not have a bunch of fires to put out all the time. But then there's a time and you and I are kind of in this, this place now of it's time for a renewal of our clear strategy for this moment, not the one five years ago. And so we're kind of back to that, to that place now where it's not good enough just to talk about it. We actually have to do it. And I feel like you and I've been spinning around some of those conversations for a while talking about it. Now it's time to do it. And you guys are getting ready to do some things or, or you've been clear about your strategy for a little while. So you're kind of experiencing this in real time right now and dealing with some of the, the, the outcomes. 
Absolutely. You know, so we are, we're changing our worship schedule. We're adding another service. We're changing the whole morning. We're adding an hour of Sunday school. Everybody's feeling pressure about it. Staff's feeling pressure about it. It's the only option we have at the moment to continue to, to grow. We've, we've sort of hit our ceiling and, and you know, it's just creating stress. I guy comes up after me after the traditional service. So we're moving the service 15 minutes earlier. I'm assuming that's because of the contemporary situation. That's what he said to me. <laughs> Fantastic. The contemporary situation. Yeah, that's uh, literally what we've been talking about for a month. But um, yes, that's correct. Um, and then he like walked away. I'm like, all right, well, good talk. So, <laughs> but, but listen, the, the resistance is real. And the resistance, I think, in large part is simply because everything is personal at church. Your your spiritual life, your sense of nostalgia and memory. If you're older, you might think back to a time when you were younger, when you had little kids in the house, and you're sort of pining for those days again. And every change is sort of a personal wound that you're getting further and further away from that time. And I don't think people are actively thinking this. I think it's mostly subconscious. But, you know, it's like, you know, you want to. Change, I always say you're like changing the curtains in the parlor. You know, they got holes in them. We're going to change them out. You can't change those. Pastor, I hung those curtains with my grandfather, and it's the last thing we did together before he died, right? So, some like crazy emotional thing about the curtains. I think there's versions of that everywhere. We had at Christmas time, we had the hanging angels. So there's this whole thing where you had to, this whole team had to come into our fellowship hall and hang and decorate for one of our Christmas events. And they had to take out these giant wall angels that I don't even know where they stored them. And, and it took them like several days to get it hung up. And we had to move heaven and earth to make sure nobody was in there. No activities could happen until the hanging angels were. And it's like, Oh my gosh, you're killing me with these things. Like we could, <laughs> we could seriously, nobody cares. About it. Anyway. Um, but it, it was all because it was a tradition that they had held dear because they had a lot of fond memories of everything surrounding it. Everything is personal. Otherwise, rational people become very offended very easily because of the personal nature of being at church. Yeah, that's tough. And and it does. It hits home or it might hit a sore spot from a past change that happened or, you know, all kinds of different reasons people respond the way they do. And I noticed that as it as we've gone through some different changes here and are and, and introducing some new strategies, some of the most difficult places uh, uh, or places of resistance have been from people in in key leadership areas that are saying, "Oh, you're moving the target, or you're you're changing the dynamics, or I'm already stretched on our resources volunteer wise. How are we going to add a whole nother children's ministry hour? Are you kidding, Jason?" Yeah. We can't even get enough for one. Like I can imagine all the conversations, right? But it um, it's disruptive, and people have adapted to the current situation, and they're there because they either like it or they're willing to put up with it. And now we're going to change it again, and we have to adjust a whole bunch of things around that. So you can get some of the resistance, and I think as leaders, I think it's also important that we stop and acknowledge the degree to which we have some control over the change and why that makes us more okay with it. Whereas if somebody from the outside was coming in and saying, Jason, I'm going to change these five things and tough. Like, I just think we have to be mindful of how totally we're a part of leading the change. It's easier to take it 
if that if that makes sense or we're like oh, well, it makes a hundred percent sense yeah. so, somebody could have like the smallest change suggestion i'm like nope you know, no, like no i yeah exactly what are you talking about yeah Hey, Reclaim Leader community, before we continue this conversation, I wanted you to know how you can get our Christmas outreach guide that has all this stuff in it and our pathway template so that you could plug in the steps for your Christmas pathway absolutely free. So you can go to reclaimedleader.com forward slash Christmas right now. By subscribing to our newsletter, you get the latest episode information, resource suggestions, giveaways, and more. That's reclaimedleader.com forward slash Christmas today and start reaching people with your pathway. Now back to the conversation. And I think it's important to remember again, in order to lead change, your first move as a pastor is not simply to, okay, let me work on a vision. Let me work on a strategy. No, the first move is to build urgency around why you need to make the change. And so in his steps, Dr. John Cotter's steps, it's create a sense of urgency, then build a guiding coalition, then form a vision and strategy. So it, and to remember not nearly as many people are against you as you might think. Absolutely. There, there was that whole, was that Carrie Newhoff that did yeah. the early adopters and the, yeah. Yeah. and I forget exactly how it went, but the idea is you have early adopters, small percentage who'll say, who'll be with you no matter what you do. No, what the, yeah, it's great. We love change. And then you have the sort of 10% that aren't down with it. And then you have kind of this middle that, eh, I mean, they're okay. They're maybe a little frustrated or maybe a little happy. They're somewhere in between, but they're not against you. It's really that small number. It's Yeah, I call it the silent majority or something. It's like, yeah, people yeah. Are like, all right, I kind of liked it how it was, but if this is what you think we should do, I don't know. We like Jason. We like our leaders. Our staff are awesome. Okay. We'll go with you guys this direction. Right. And there's and, way more people in yeah. that category. And I think we're going to get into this, but what I appreciated out of everything from that conversation was this idea of, uh, that there's maybe 10%, probably less that are your vocal opposition. They're the ones who are stomping their feet, throwing a fit. This is going to ruin everything. And I think the reminders were something like loud does not equal large. Yeah. In other words, yeah. those are, I tend to like the people that are most resistant to the change tend to say things like, well, I've talked to people and everybody is saying, and you're like, well, who's everybody? They're like, yeah. well, me and my wife don't like it. Yeah. Or me and my one other person in my small group don't like it. And you're like, are you sure you're speaking for them? Yeah. So it's probably them and one other person at the most or something. Uh, loud does not equal large and volume doesn't equal velocity. In yeah. other words, there's not a groundswell coming against you. But when a voice is really loud, it can feel that way. And so we have to remind ourselves that 90% are either totally on board or okay with the change. Absolutely. 10% or maybe not. And uh, then you think about that. Are you really going to sacrifice the strategic thing that you work so hard on, the vision and direction for the church for those 10% or, or you know, be stuck and then and alienate the 90% that are willing to go? And this is not a, you know, the one in the 99 moment. This is not the same. Yeah. This is this is leading change in the church. And so if you really think about it, if that change that you're introducing, you think is going to help you reach more people for Christ. You're sacrificing to the one out of 10 might cost an opportunity to reach your friends and neighbors around you and yeah. extend 
out into the community. So that small minority, if you give in to that vocal minority, it's actually going to cost you your your vision and mission in a big way. So, okay, I got a little preachy about that. Yeah, it's no, it's thing. no, that's good. That's good. And uh, before we get to some strategies of dealing with leading change, I I came across a journal that I had in 2015. It was when we led the biggest change in our church. We had kind of like the biggest single thing that we did. We, we changed really the the footprint of the church. We changed uh, how we did worship. We changed. We there was a lot of change. We had a capital campaign. We had a lot of things going on, and there was a decent amount of resistance from within. Yeah. Uh, and it was folks who had been part of the church long before I ever got there who were in positions of power. And one of them at the time was was the property team, and you know we're making changes to the building. They weren't on board with some of that. And the funny thing is the biggest critique from them, well, I'll say one of the biggest, and one of the biggest we heard when we did town hall meetings with people who wanted to do Q&A was that we were going to allow coffee in the sanctuary. This was a big deal to people. They thought this was inappropriate. Um, We were going to ruin the carpet. We were going to cause damage. It's too casual. It's too this. And, you know, we, we, talked about it we all sort of landed in a place about it and i have i have in my journal july 2015 i'm on vacation and i caught wind of an email that someone forwarded me from the property team that was going to meet while i was away to decide that they were going to put giant signs in front of the sanctuary telling people not to bring their coffee in and I had to interrupt my vacation. I was vacation close. I interrupted my vacation and I immediately had to deal with the situation. And then we called a meeting and this was my, my prayer before the meeting that I wrote down in my journal. I said, Lord, give me sharpness, grace, and a winsome spirit. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if that's not just good advice for leading change to myself or maybe to anyone else who would hear it. And that's, be sharp. Be on your game. Know yeah. your stuff. Yeah. Be the expert. From, in the yeah. Exactly. But come from a place of grace, not yeah. I'm going to win this debate. Yeah. And, and have a winsome spirit. Like, hey, let's do this. It's going to be great, right? We're all in it together. We can't wait for you to come with us. This is going to be good. I know it can be hard to see it now. And I think the sharpness part related to that, I love that, um, is uh, – Yes, be the expert in the room, but do it on the basis of having asked really good questions and sought out answers to those questions. I, I Man, if you have anticipated objections and questions and you've talked about what problem is this solving and you try to figure out what some of those root causes are and you bring that with you, that is going to go so far when people are like, oh, you've already, you're thinking out ahead. You had some of those same reservations. You are aware. and so. Man, I imagine though going into that room, still there's this anxiety probably about how's this going to go, and there's this vision of sharp and grace, gracious and and winsome. But what was that meeting actually like? It was a almost unanimous decision to stop with the signs and to um, keep going ahead with what we previously agreed on. So the, the one person that was stirring it up was the one that voted against it. Everybody else was with, and that was fine with me. Yeah. And again, that's that one yeah. out of 10. It's the 10% yep. is 
someone has an ax to grind or a control issue. And we had this, oh man, we could get into all of our past stories. <laughs> here, but something very similar that happened with us when we were making some changes and just a, 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 a willful uh, disregard for the direction that we had agreed to together. And we're not going that way. And we're going to do this instead. And I had to go confront that situation head on and deal with it and not shy away from it or hope it went away on, on its own. So you were talking about, you know, have clear strategy. It's going to produce anxiety, fear might actually produce also some attempts at exerting control Yeah, and getting in the way of that. Sabotage. Yeah. Sabotage or whatever, whether it's Bolsinger talks about that a lot. Yeah. Or not. Right. So getting ready for that. And I'd say when you're going to deal with that kind of opposition head on is the best way. Yeah. And, and I, I love, I think it was Andy Stanley's 500 pound gorilla. I don't remember the whole image, so I'm not going to try to quote it, but it was, if you know, someone is going to come and want to have it out with you, you go find them first. You, you, you initiate it. You, you change the position of the conversation. You uh, don't wait and be passive about it. You go and have that. You just, it sort of takes the pressure off the, everybody. Now we're going to have it out. We're not waiting anymore. Yeah. We're going to, we're going to deal with this, whatever this is. Right. What would you say? Uh, you be the one to let the 500 pound gorilla. You, out of the I game. think that's what he said. Yeah. You be the one, he got it from a business guy, but you be the one to let the 500 pound, yeah. pound, pound gorilla out of the, out of the cage and, and say, we're going to deal with it. We're, we're, we're going to deal with it. So, yeah. and then demonstrate healthy leadership in the midst of that. Don't get crazy with the crazies and, and be controlling and weird. Be sharp, be gracious and be winsome. I like that. Yeah. And you know, as we go into a couple of strategies that I know have definitely worked for us and we've learned here over time is to be reminded that Jesus embodied both grace and truth. Mm-hmm. He never dumbed down truth and he never dialed down grace. Right. Right. So how do we use that as we help lead change? And honestly, one of the things that that always motivates me as I think of what's the result if I don't do this change, if we feel like this is the thing to do and I decide not to, cause I don't want to get in an argument. What's, what's the opportunity cost of not doing this. And, and by the way, what's the Lord have to say to me about it? If, if I feel like it was inspired by him. So uh, here's, here's how I handle it. And uh, maybe uh, Jesse, you can um, relate to this as well. I say I face opposition, change opposition head on. Kind of. I face okay. it head on, but I say I go over on top of it. In other words, I, what I like to do is reframe whatever the resistance is, reframe it into something that is winsome and positive and forward looking. Yeah. Sure. And so, you know, through education, town hall meetings, preaching, whatever it, it is, I want to redirect the anger. And I want to say, yes, I, I acknowledge how you're feeling. And I know that's hard. But look at what we have the opportunity to do. And don't you think that's something God wants his church to do? And I try to get them to look ahead rather than just kind of looking at the problem and getting so angry. I think sometimes if all people can see is what they feel like they're going to lose and they don't see what they might gain or what the, the church or the organization might, how it might benefit from the change, that is a really hard sell. Yeah. Uh, this change is experienced as loss. It, you know, it's a loss of familiarity. It's a loss of tradition. It's a loss of whatever the thing is. And there's kind of some grief involved in that. But if you can get excited about what the new thing is, or at least understand why it could potentially benefit us, 
I think that goes a long way. So I like that coming alongside, being there, acknowledging the emotions in the room and doing all that, I think is, is a really crucial and that's healthy leadership, right? It's, it's not coming in and, and saying, how come you're always opposed to change? And if you were a good Christian, you would know this is what God wants us to do or, you know, weird attacks on people aren't going to actually help, but trying to f- help them see the vision as much as possible. And there'll be times when people just aren't going to get there and then they're going to either choose to walk away or whatever they're going to do. And we'll have to deal with that, that, yeah. but hopefully you can bring the most people along with you by yeah. doing that kind of wrap your arms around them and say, Hey, we want you to come too." Yeah. Okay. So one of the first things that's important to do, if you're thinking about making a big substantial change is Make sure that your leadership has ample time to digest it. Don't just go running to your team, whether it's volunteers, staff, elders, deacons, whatever that looks like for you. Don't just go there and be like, this is what we're doing, or this is what I think we should do. Give them a lot of lead time. So for example, we're talking about adding another service to Sunday school. We started having this conversation on our leadership team back in spring. And now in real time, it's... We're actually doing the launch in November. So it's been a lot of months of thinking about it and letting it marinate, as I always kind of like to say, let it marinate for a while and then invite feedback frequently. So don't just say, you know, you don't want to have this, the kind of, I just came out of the cave and here are the, you know, here's the Holy writ. Uh, Here's, you know, the plan as God delivered it to me, the important one. Right. So it's not how are we doing this together? And making sure that you're getting everybody's buy-in because what you're doing is you're building that consensus. I think what I see in a lot of churches that leaders that try to lead change and it doesn't work, oftentimes it's it's because of how they started. They just simply started, and I was one of them before, yep. they just simply started too fast with not enough buy-in to begin with. Yep. And I still catch myself doing that. I, I think you you will do that as a leader because you're way out ahead. You're yeah. anticipating and thinking about problems that other people don't even know exist yet. or you're, you're thinking, you know, how do we continue to grow? And people are like, it doesn't quite feel full enough for us to have another service yet. This feels good. I like being with everybody. Like, what's the problem, Jason? And, and so you're giving people permission to catch up with you and it's space to do that. And as leaders, and we've used this analogy here before, it's like for leading a group on a hike. And, and if you're a leader type person, you're going to be in the front of the pack and eventually you're going to be out 50 or a hundred yards ahead of the pack and around the corner. And you're like, let's go already. Sometimes you got to come back and meet people where they are and introduce what's coming up. And this next section is going to be really hard, but it's so cool at the end. I can't wait. You know, so bringing people along with you is going to actually, it's going to be more fun anyway. Right. And you're going to actually get further faster than if you just go charging ahead on your own. Yeah. So then connecting with the congregation at large, or connecting the people that are having opposition. What I try to do is if we're going to be making a change is to really preach it out. So develop a theological vision for what we're doing and share it with the congregation. What, you know, to explain why this is what God, what we feel God's calling us to do. And here, here are its biblical and theological foundations, because I, I think that's critically important. And when people see that, they're like, Oh, Oh yeah. Well, I mean, how kind of like, how can we say no to that? That feels yeah. like, yeah. And, and it's not being manipulative at all. That's not the goal. The goal is simply to educate. And I think um, communicating often 
with the congregation, giving them time to absorb it. And then what I like to do is to connect the congregation with their own legacy in the church. You know, a, a lot of folks, listen, we all, I'm not picking on the more traditional or like older crowd because we all have change reactions, but in most denominational, at least mainline denominational churches in America, the people that you have to convince to do the new thing are folks who've been in the church their whole life or a really long time. And what I always try to do is just connect, connect the change with their own legacy. I'm like, listen, you have your blood, sweat, and tears are in this place. You have given of your money. You've given your, your time and your talents. You have done everything. You've committed yourself to this church. And if we don't do this thing, there's going to be no church left. And I'm not being overdramatic. It's, it would probably happen a lot faster than any of us think. Yeah. We've got to do this to reach the next generation for Jesus Christ. Just like Will you be a part of that? You. Just like somebody did it for you. You know, exactly. I think that, that I love that advice. And I think we do, if you're a part of a denominational church or a church with a longer history, you, I think tying it back into the story demonstrates both you care about the legacy of, of this community uh, so much that you're not willing to to leave it alone. Like there's the reason for the vision is compelling because of our history. So, you know, we can say things like, you know, we have a track record of loving kids, loving the next generation, pulling out all the stops to make sure we're reaching, uh, you know, young people. And I love that about our story. And I'm excited to see how we can, how do we do that today? What does that look like today? And how are we going to do that? And so I think tying it back into the story, that's just, just wise leadership, but it's also, not only is it wise, but I think there's something for me, there's humility in that too, that there has been so much good that has happened in this community that some of these people that seem like sticks in the mud, they were a part of. And so how do I kind of bring them back to something of that experience so they can be excited with, with us in this new thing that we're doing? Yeah. I think another thing is to remind them that and I think I heard it put this way. I want to say it was John Acuff, but that change, it's either a choice or a consequence. Yeah. Yep. I mean, truly, when you think about it, it's either a choice or a consequence. So listen, change is going to happen whether you like it or not. And yep, yep. You, usually the change that happens by consequence isn't a good consequence. So how can we proactively change in, in a better direction? I think is another, another way of helping them to reframe it. Yeah, I think that's wise. And uh, one of the other things that you had talked about before we we jumped on was this idea of, of uh, when possible, focus on building the new and not just taking away something. Like I, I think the the experience is different when people feel like they're losing versus gaining. And so the old adage of bless and add. In other words, just sort of if there's some things that are not so great but they're not causing damage either. Just leave them alone. Yeah. Add the new thing and let it kind of carry its own momentum forward. And it's the old, I think it's the famous Socrates quote. I think it's Plato speaking for Socrates. Anyway, however that works, but it goes something like this. The secret of change is to focus all of your energy, not on fighting the old, but on building the new. Don't go beating up on everything in the past and, and, throwing stones at it and, and uh, be, be careful. There are times when we have to bring things to an end because they're consuming too many resources that could be better utilized somewhere else. And that's hard. Sometimes we got to do it, but if you can just let it go naturally, 
And sometimes that's a better approach. So bless and add is, is bless and add. Our way. friend Stan Ott says that a lot. Bless that's, and that's, add. That, I would capture that idea. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then to, and this is something I love about, uh, so Bob Weitzel, another friend of the podcast, church, longtime church consultant professor. Um, he actually does, when he consults with churches, he does a statement of change boundary agreement where he said, where it just puts people at peace to say, these are the yeah. things we're changing. We are not touching anything around this agreement. You can always do a new agreement later. Those things need to change, but at least it creates a sense of comfort because people get, okay, well now I know where the change is going to kind of begin and end. Yeah. And, and it's not, he actually, he likes to do it as a formal contract for, wow. for churches. So Again, that's all part of the winsome spirit. Let's figure it out together. We're we're launching a test period and we're going to try this out. And we don't know if it's going to work. This, this is actually literally what I just said to the congregation a couple of weeks ago. I'm like, we have no idea if this is going to work. We really hope it does. But yeah. um, isn't it exciting that we are in a position to get to try this? Yeah, I think the best introduction of change that uh, I've experienced was when we talked about our this change we wanted to try as an idea. Here's our idea. Here's all the questions we've been asking. Here's what we've been hearing from all of you. So we have this idea. We want to give it a try. If it works, it's going to be awesome. If it doesn't, we'll try something else. But it was, you know, this is what we feel like God is our first best effort to, to get us moving in this direction. And there's something energizing for everybody about that. And there's a humility that says, we're taking a risk together. I know that. And maybe it'll work and maybe it won't. But I love that we're the kind of community that is willing to try things and see what happens, yeah. see what God does. So I love it, Jason. Such good reminders as we lead change. Don't get complacent. Don't play it safe. It feels comfortable and it might be okay for a little stretch underneath a clear strategy to kind of just take a breath. But if we get stuck there on the treadmill, it's going to, that change is going to not be a choice anymore. It's going to be yeah. an outcome. Yeah. And, and listen, is it possible that some may choose the status quo? But I would say this, is it even fair for me to expect a paradigm shift for an 85 year old? Like, yeah. I, and I think if I could just be okay with, they just might not be okay with it yep. and keep going. I think that's, that's fine. And I think it's healthy. And just to remember, like, it's, even though everything's personal, it's not personal against you. Yeah. Yeah, I had a real clear example of that. We were just talking to one of our folks, amazing lady in the life of the church who's in her later years. And she just needed to lament a little bit with her pastor, who me, who she trusts and loves. I hope, I think we have a great relationship. But she was just sad over the things that she misses, that she remembers and what we used to do. And I I let her be sad and acknowledged that, yeah, the, that I can understand that. And there was empathy and compassion for that rather than, well, here's why we're doing what we're doing and why can't you get on board? And the way that that conversation ended in the midst of her just sort of lamenting what, what once was, was also her gratitude for what God is doing now and all these young families and all the things. And there was something healthy in both her expression of, I miss it, but I'm also glad that we're still moving forward. And Maybe maybe some of our folks can get to that place, even if they're not 100% on board. They kind of go, but I, I get it. And yeah. I'm glad that the church is going to keep moving forward. Yeah. All right. Hey, good stuff. Leading change, yeah, really man. It's, it's well, never a dull moment. That's for experts sure. we just mentioned today. Let's just think. So we had <laughs> Kerry Newoff, Andy Stanley, Bob Weitzel. Uh, who else? Dan Ott. Dan Stevens. Stevens. John Acuff. 
Do we miss anybody? Yeah, we've had a lot of help along the way. I'll tell you that much. I mean, you're talking about, oh, Todd Bolsinger, I think you mentioned. Yeah. And so, I mean, there is a room of experts out there for us to go and, and, and continue to be encouraged by. And each of those people in some way or another has led change in, in the context of the Christian community, the local church or, or some other context. And we got to learn from each other because leadership is hard. Better when we do it together is kind of the the, the the subtext for our podcast here, but it's also going to come with bumps and bruises. It's not going to be easy. We're going to take it in the teeth sometimes unfairly and all of that, but it's worth it. It's worth it when we see a flourishing community continue to move forward and a church that's healthier and more vital than it was before or things like that, or is yeah. entering a new, more vital season. So the change, the work of change is worth it but it can be hard to get it kicked back into gear. So if somebody's thinking out there, what's my, what's my step to get off the treadmill and move out of the status quo? Any suggestions? I mean, how did you guys get to this point where you said, let's launch a new service? Uh, Was it born out of necessity? Did somebody have to come along and hit you upside the head and say, Jason, we got to keep moving. How did, how did that go? Yeah, it it was, it was out of necessity only because we saw this before, which led to the last previous big change. And that is uh, in the room, there were just not, you know, there were t- enough people to where people would stop coming because they felt like it was too full. So that's that's the sense of urgency. The good news is, is that since we had done this before, there was a bit of a track record to rely on and say, you know, th- hey, we've been here before. We're here again. Let's figure it out. And uh, we were told years ago that we would be here again. And here it is. And but more than that, I really spent a lot of time focusing on what's going on in our culture right now and why now is the time to take a swing uh, for churches to engage the community, to engage people, because people are hungry for God in a very deep way right now. And so we talked a lot about that, the opportunity. So then when it came time to talking about uh, the actual change, it felt like, well, yeah, that's what we have to do. Yeah. So yeah. love it. I, I love it. And I think sometimes it, it can be born out of necessity. Other times it's, it's somebody coming along and saying, Hey, what are we doing? Or, and there's some accountability that maybe needs to happen. And someone has the courage to, to challenge us as leaders to continue to push in. So however you come to this place of knowing that you need some clear strategy again, that's going to cause discomfort and lead hopefully to some good outcomes. Uh, whatever gets you there. Uh, I hope that these conversations Jason and I have every week processing leading change in our own churches is helpful and uh, encouraging and maybe challenging in in some way. And uh, that in the end, we'll remember that the church is in the Lord's hands. We just get to be a part of what he's doing and God is going to be faithful. So so hang in there, keep doing what you're doing, keep leading change because it's worth it. All right, everyone. Hey, thanks for listening. Hope this is helpful to you as you are leading change in your church. And again, like Jesse said a few minutes ago, and like we say every week, ministry is hard. It is so much better when we do it together.